This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 196 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. This is Reese Koppler Stanfield from Loxahatchee, Florida. And this is Fellow Parks from Fergus, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show with our producer Glenn, and now we're all together again, right? It's been a couple of weeks. Yay! It has been a couple of weeks. And now, uh, Reese, have they quarantined you? Did the state come over and, and board up your doors and you're locked in the house and you're never allowed out again? Yeah. Well, you know what? Not not right now. Um, this, and again, we're going to talk a little bit today about this EHV1 um, outbreak that's happened in Florida. Glenn, you sort of have a little bit of the, um, the lowdown that's happening from Ocala. Um, you know, I think a lot of what's going on is from the panic of... Uh, was it 2007 when there was an seven outbreak? Or eight. Yeah, seven, seven or eight. Yeah. Seven or eight. And there was an outbreak here, and it's very, very scary. You know, there are 30,000 horses here in, in the Wellington area, and that's a 30-mile radius. So, um, 30,000 very expensive horses, let's add. Very yeah. expensive horses, and people have spent a lot of money to be here. So it is um, it is very, very scary, and there's a lot of movement that happens, and people that show literally every, you know, could show any day of the week pretty much in, in dressage and, and show jumping. So um, uh, I think it, with this it, it, thankfully at this point, everyone has been on their toes and really been horsemen about it. Um, there are no restrictions, uh, right now, uh, and on the dressage side of things, the, uh, Palm beach derby is literally happening now. The jog was today at three o'clock. Um, and they were making announcements, um, about what was happening over at the, the show jumping grounds in Wellington. Um, for what I understand, the quarantine in the FEI barn has been list, has been lifted at this point, so um, there's no travel restrictions at this point. Um, yeah, the Palm yeah. Beach International Equestrian Center has their own. The, you know, you have to have a a uh, health certificate within like 48 hours, and yeah. you know they have their own protocols that they have set up, uh, making it a little bit stricter. Yes, um, there and uh, and and today there there was another horse they were worried about, but apparently it it yep. tested finally tested negative. So, um, yep. and you know when you think about it, uh, there have been there was one horse down there in Wellington that tested positive that caused the whole right. scare in the first place, and then there was sure. uh, another one up up here in uh, another one up here in Ocala, and now five more in Ocala have tested. So. Uh, the bigger right. issue right now is in Ocala, um, and right. we have the hits has basically closed down. If you go in there, you can't come out during the quarantine period. So all the horses that are there now at hits, which is the show jumping grounds here uh, in Ocala, and there's a lot of horses there. Um, yes, there are. They uh, they can't leave. So and they're on, you know they're doing all the washdowns and the certain tents are are uh, quarantined, and, and they had uh, five more horses today that have tested. And, Ugh. you know, what we did on the morning show on Horses in the Morning on Wednesday, we always have the horse.com comes on and does a health segment. So this week they did a, a uh, EHV-1-101, uh, letting everybody know what it is, how it's transmitted, what you can do, you know, what steps you can take. So the basics on what it is. And I was surprised that, you know, we had some professional riders here at the studios this week, uh, big name professional riders that had no idea about it. 
Um, so, you know, they didn't know how it was transmitted. They didn't, you know, and they have, they're in barns with 90 horses. So, you know, I think it's important that we do that. So we're going to play a piece of that at the end of the show for you today. It's about 10 minutes long. It's with Dr. Jones of Florida Equine, who's absolutely terrific, and, uh, and Michelle from thehorse.com. And it really is going to give you a, a, a heads up on, on what it is and what to look for and, and uh, how it spreads and all of that. So we'll do that at the end of the show. All right, that'll be very informative. Yeah. What else That's is on the show right. today, Reese? Yeah, we got a good one, don't we? Wow, Philip, you've got to tell everybody about your trip down. Oh, we had right. a great visit. We had yeah, a really we fun time, the didn't show. we, Reese? Yeah. Philip, everybody, um, is Philip is tough, and he kicked my. You know what? Uh, I, I my, told you guys I was going down to kick some butt. Right? <laughs> yeah, he did, and it was great. We had some really, really good training sessions together, and it was fun to to be in the same location and for Philip to help me on all my horses. Of course, Baby Nanali was perfect. He is he such was a superstar. Really good. Yeah, I think you know <laughs> the, he's just going so great. Yeah, I think I yeah, thought Reese was over over exaggerating because he was a homebred and she loves him. I thought. <laughs> Probably I go down there and there'd be just this mess of this horse <laughs> and this smiling girl on top, it's right? True. Like, isn't he great? And I'd have to tell her, like, no, it's a piece of garbage. But no, he was fantastic, and Reese is not exactly. <laughs> Well, I, and I actually work really hard to not, I mean, I'm definitely a smiling girl on my boy, but I, I am kind of, you know, try to, try to be a taskmaster a little bit. And, uh, Philip also helped me with, uh, Winnie, my fourth level horse can really help me uh, go for the pre-St. George and really, really push her sort of to that next level. So that was really fun. So I have to thank Philip. Um, and we had a great time. Yeah, it was good. We all time. caught yeah. up with some friends and it was a really we, good time. We had, a so, few, we had a few drinks, right? You know, yep. no. yeah, we did. We yeah, we did. Yeah. Celebrate, you know, a few things. <laughs> Right. It's good to celebrate. Philip, I've never had the pizza. We have we had a bacon pizza, and that was the best. I think the best pizza I've ever had. So I'm oh, gonna go put home. Bacon and, on anything, and it's good. Yeah, you can put I'm bacon on it. It just so picks everything good. up a notch. Salad yeah. can be good. You just put bacon on yeah. it. <laughs> So it was it was a really good time. So uh, we got to d- talk about the show and, and some really good things. So we have a great show today. We have Betsy Steiner on who's going to talk about her TLC program or the Ladies Club. And I think it's just a phenomenal idea that um, – Actually, people could really expand on this idea and do it at their home home clubs or use Betsy as a, as a great um, reference because she's got some great ideas on that. She's also going to talk about – yeah, her Equilates program. Yeah, Equilates. I mean, she's got a lot going on, does Betsy. This is, she does. She's a great she innovator. Does. Yeah, great innovator. Yeah. And then we're also, we wanted to talk a little bit about how to make sort of Florida affordable and, uh, or Florida or California or however. Or, um, or riding you know, more affordable. Yeah. yeah. So. Exactly. So, Betsy, this is a great way to work with your friends and uh, have some good training. And then we're going to talk with Ali Potaski, uh, who is Pam Goodrich's barn manager. And she's here at the farm. Philip got to meet her in person. And she's got a wonderful story. And she has a wonderful horse that she's riding and doing the Young Adult Grand Prix. So um, it's going to be a great show. We are going to have Ali Potoski, um, the working student angel, uh, on the show next after this commercial break from Kentucky Performance Products. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. Did you know that easy keepers and horses on restricted diets are often at risk for vitamin and mineral deficiencies? 
Most easy keepers are maintained on hay and some get a few handfuls of grain a day. And most of these horses get little to no green grass. Diets that don't include significant levels of green grass or recommended amounts of fortified concentrates just don't supply enough vitamins and minerals. Many horse folks don't realize that hay alone, even high quality green hay, is not an adequate source of many vitamins. For example, when grass is cut and dried for hay, the vitamins quickly lose their potency. 70% of the vitamin E found in grass is lost in the first week after it is cut for hay. One way to ensure that your special needs horse is getting all the vitamins and minerals he needs is to add a vitamin and mineral supplement to his diet. A well-balanced supplement will provide the nutrients your horse requires without adding unwanted calories, starches, and sugars. Microphase, made by Kentucky Performance Products, is a vitamin and trace mineral supplement that bridges the gap in your feeding program. With Microphase, your horse receives adequate and balanced vitamin and mineral nutrition without unwanted calories or other ingredients. The minerals in Microphase have been chelated, a process that protects minerals during digestion and increases their absorption in the intestine. Microphase provides vitamins, such as vitamin E, in a natural form, so your horse receives optimal results from this supplement. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. Well, it is our pleasure to have Ali Potoski, the manager, um, the barn manager of Foster Meadow Farms, which is owned by Pam Goodrich, on the show this evening. Ali, thanks for coming on. No problem. This is exciting. Well, Allie, you know, we talked, we're actually sharing the same barn, so I get to see Allie, and it's a pleasure to see her all day long and her smiling face. Um, and I, Allie, you have a great story. So, um, you know, it fits really well into our show today, talking about kind of making training affordable. So can you start on how you became the barn manager at Pam Goodrich's barn? Um, yeah, I started out um, after high school. Um, I knew Chris Hickey for a long time, so I went to Hilltop Farm um, to help him and get experience. And that's where I met Jocelyn Weiss, the owner of um, the horse I ride now. And she was trained by Pam at the time. So I actually rode a sales horse in front of Pam, and she immediately started teaching me, as she would. <laughs> and then I decided I really liked her and became her working student. So from there, I just kept working and became barn manager when the old barn manager left. That's excellent. And tell us a little bit about the horse that, that you are riding and this horse that you've gotten to ride and, and uh, a little bit, maybe some of the details about how you've worked this out without owning the horse. Okay, yeah, it's really a great opportunity I got through Jocelyn and making a connection to her at Hilltop. Um, I actually groomed Zumi at Hilltop and wasn't even allowed to walk him to cool him out. So it's kind of funny how things go. Um, and she got into law school uh, at the last minute and basically had two weeks to make a move, you know, a couple of states over and start everything up. So she said, hey, will you ride Zumi for, you know, a month or two while I get situated and then we can send him down? And I said, uh, yes, of course I will. Um, 
And my trainer, Pam, she actually bought the horse in Denmark as a younger horse. I think he was six. So Pam knew the horse really well and had trained him and trained Joss on him. So it was a perfect thing because she could supervise me. So I started riding him. It was just really fun, and I was very excited. And then she called me one day. She said, look. I am working all day and in school all day and studying. I can't take Zuma. Will you lease him? And I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> of course. And that's how it happened. Um, yeah, it's still sort of unbelievable how it happened. But look at me. <laughs> Now you've taken, yes, but you're a hard worker. I mean, that's the other thing that, that I I've, know I've about you is you guys do not sit down all day long. Um, so tell us what you've done with Zumi or Lamborghini. Well, at first when I had him, I just had to learn, you know, basically the, the movements he knows because he's a Grand Prix horse. Um, and I'd done them once or twice before, you know, I'd done changes and I'd, sat on a piaffing horse, but I really had no idea how to put it together or how to even go about riding a horse like that. So that was the first part of the uh, lease, which was really cool to have, you know, Pam, I get a lesson from her almost every day. So she was a huge influence. Um, And then my goal was to do the Brentina Cup the first year which I did. Um, I came to Florida with Pam and just started doing some shows, and he's a great show horse, so that part wasn't really an issue. It was just me learning how to ride him and, you know, feeling a little more confidence in myself that I was actually riding and not just, like, sitting there being like a fool. (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. I mean, I think if you're a hard worker and you're in the right place at the right time, that, I mean, you know, opportunities can be available to, uh, to a lot of people. Maybe you want to tell us a little bit about, you know, what's the life of a, of a working student like? You know, how much work is expected of you and, and what's your daily life like to, to be able to give you this opportunity to ride such a great horse? Um, well, I enjoy it a lot, um, even though it's a lot of hours. But Pam's also a really good person to work for. Like, she really cares about us and, you know, will take us out to breakfast or send us to the pool on occasion. But um, I get up at 6.30, or no, I start work at 6.30, um, and we finish at 4.30 usually. And we do everything. So down in Florida, uh, we feed, we turn out, we clean stalls, we tack up horses for Pam, and, um, you know, everything. And in New Hampshire, where um, our main farm is, where Pam owns a farm, we do, like, completely everything. Like, we do the arena maintenance, the manure removal, you know, keeping up the property on the John Deere. You know, we really have a lot of non-riding work, But at the same time, you know, every day we get a lesson from Pam and that's undivided attention and she'll see to that. So it's really worth it um, to to have that situation. 
Yeah, I think that's really a good point. And that is um, Pam is super about giving her your time, uh, giving you her time. And uh, yeah. you see that here. You know, you see that. Yeah. And I think that that's important for any working student job. I, I certainly have had working student jobs where um, – I didn't get a lesson all the time or I had a lesson so late in the evening I was exhausted. So, um, you know, that that, doesn't. Yeah. And that's something about, you know, Pam, why I chose to work for her because I knew that like, no matter how hard I worked, you know, I'd I'd be riding and I'd get help, you know? And, um, the, the great thing about Pam too is, you know, she has horses for training or sales horses, and she'll put us on different horses, too. So it's not just Zoomy. You know, I, I can ride two to three horses a day. And, you know, some I get lessons, and some she pushes me to ride them on my own and think for myself. So it's a good mix. And, and what's, your typical, what's your typical work week? Like Monday to Sunday, you know, is there a day off, or are you working... Um, just the weekdays? Um, I work six days a week, and it sort of depends if there's a show or what, but Sunday or Monday off, usually. Yeah, super. And you guys, you have a very good schedule, but you guys are really efficient. You have a nice team that you work with. So, Allie, you have a a big day tomorrow. What's going on tomorrow? Um, We are going to the Palm Beach Derby, and um, I'm competing in my first CDI under 25 Grand Prix. So I'm very excited. Well, we are going to be cheering you on tomorrow and I can't wait. You're just a a wonderful person and you have such a smile on your face as you're working. And I, I respect that so much. So keep up the good work. And Allie, if we, if there was somebody that is listening that wants to hear a little bit about your experience as a working student and then finding a horse to lease, how could they find you online? Um, well, my email is um, AP, like my initials, and then dressage at yahoo.com. And I'm also on Facebook, just under Allie Potaski. Wonderful. Well, good luck tomorrow. You know, I'll be there cheering for you. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. This is good. So, Philip, you were a working student just like I was, correct? Yeah, I went over. I worked in Belgium for uh, Johan Rocks and um, Penny Rocks Zavitz. And, uh, for, for quite some time, and uh, it was a really interesting, great experience. I mean, uh, I learned so much. You know, when I first went over there, I have to say I really had no idea what I was in for, um, you know, and I had to learn a lot of things. I had to learn about, you know, being professional in the barn. I had to learn about working hard, you know, and, and what it takes to, to become a trainer, and, and they were great with me and teaching me that and showing me the ropes, and uh, I got a, a lot of great opportunities from from doing that to ride a lot of great horses and get a lot of instruction I think you know that's what it's about yeah I too was a working student for actually three or four people um different people and and I learned a lot about uh well just running a business and having horses and um it's been different now because I now am the boss and um there's certain things that I do in my own working student program that I always encourage people to do because I had I had some good experiences and I also had some rough experiences as a working student. And one of the things that I do when my working students come in now is we sit down and we write a contract together. And I think this is probably the most important thing that you can do um, for yourself 
to protect yourself in a way, but also for your instructor. Um, I think we sit down and whatever the agreement is, there is a contract that I sign and my working student signs. Um, and I think that is so very That's important. That's a great idea. Yeah. To know, mm-hmm. you know, what the expectations are on both sides, right? So that, yep. you know, you don't, so that the working student doesn't work for nothing, right? You know, and that Correct. they get what they want out of it. And then the person you know, the instructor gets gets what they want out of well, it, and it should be clear from the beginning, right? And what a good teaching tool, because they're going to be doing contracts for, you know, for clients eventually, boarding, selling horses, and all of that. So it's a, it's a good teaching tool, too. No, I think so, too. And, and I think that the Working Student Program has been around for centuries. It's, it's, it's the beginning it's, of time. I yes, think. it's the beginning you know, of time. It's, it's, it's you an know? apprenticeship, right? It's, yes. it's, a, it's an apprenticeship. And, uh, you know, you're not going to earn a lot of money, but you, you earn... Um, uh, knowledge, right? And that's how you get it, you, you know? No, that's exactly right. You learn knowledge and you learn about how to run a business and how it works. I think the biggest thing that people forget is it's a job. You know, the, your trainer or who yeah. you're working for, they are expecting you to show up and they are expecting you, you know, um, to do what you're trained to do or or need to be trained to do. Um, but I also think it's important that you know, the, the trainer is respectful and, and always gives a lesson. Um, I certainly try to do that because I, I almost err too much on that side a little bit myself. I, cause I want to make sure that, that my students are getting everything that I can offer. Um, because there were times where I did not receive that as a working student. Um, and, um, that taught me a really big lesson. So I'm big on, I'm big on, on that contract. And I think that's really important that if you don't have it as a working student, you need to sit down. Um, and also Allie was very smart. She talked about, um, when she went to Pam's, um, you know, the girls talked about what they were, that what they received and that Pam is a good person to work for. And she got a lesson every day. And I right. think that, you know, I think in some, in some cases, you know, the best trainer doesn't really make the best person to work for, you know, in, in, in a lot of situations. So I think it's good to get a, you know, if you're looking to do a working student thing, to get a reference from somebody, not only who was trained with that person, but also maybe who, that, you know, that, that has been their employer as well, because there's all kinds of situations and people get taken advantage of and, and it's tough, right? It's tough out there. It is tough. I think that's the biggest thing. And you need to know that when you go into that working student position, that this is not going to be easy. You know, as we all know, what we do is very physical and long hours. And you are the person that's the first in the barn and are the person that is last in the barn. Um, Because, you know, for example, in my case, especially here in Florida, I've had a wonderful working student. um, But she there are times when I'm out selling horses or I'm out, you know, doing something for the show or whatever. And and I do expect her to be at the barn. And she she's been great uh, to be there and to take care of the horses and um, kind of be the the stable one. So uh, but you can learn a ton. And I think that's it's the best way and the most affordable way to get the training that you need to get. Yeah, I'll say this, too, because we had a number of working students when we had our big barn. Um, You are going to have to suck it up a little bit. I mean, it's, you know, I think a lot of them coming into it think it's going to be a fun time to play with horses. uh, Oh, yeah, that's not the case at all. But they do. I think that's part of what they think it's going to be. And, yeah, you are going to have you are going to get to play with horses. But, uh, you know, you're also going to be shoveling a lot of poop. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And raking the yard and and, all the things that that aren't. 
necessarily the most glamorous parts of the job, but you have to remember, you know, more than likely the trainer that you're working for did it as well. So, um, it's just how it works. And if you're, you're, uh, you know, you need to do the work and you're not necessarily someone that can come in and pay the exorbitant training bills. Um, you know, that's how, how you make it happen. We always, we always uh, use this analogy that it's no different that when you start at a restaurant, you start as a dishwasher and work your way up. It's, yeah. this, it's the same yeah. thing as when you start really at a, you're starting at, a, at an office, you're starting as the, you know, as the secretary and working your way up. That's it's, right. It's just what happens. Yeah. yeah, there is no kind of dressage school that you can go and get a degree and then walk into a barn and be the head trainer, right? <laughs> right that right, just right. doesn't that yeah. just doesn't work. You got to start at the bottom and you know put in the hours. And like you said, Reese, uh, a lot of people did, right? Like most of the trainers out there, you know, did that, and and that's how it's that's how this uh, business works. So, and you learn a lot. I think you learn so much about not just about horses, about you know about riding, but also about business. You learn a lot about yourself, whether you know this is a career that you want to get into. So, um, I think that's good. Yeah, I agree. Well, next on the show we have Betsy Steiner, and Betsy is a wonderful example of a wonderful professional who's very, very innovative, and she's going to talk to us about uh, the ladies' club that she started here in Florida. Well, it's such an honor to have Betsy Steiner on our show this evening. And Betsy, we're talking tonight about how to make training um, adventures affordable. And um, we were talking at one of the horse shows, and I've heard about your ladies' club. So I would wonder uh, if you could talk with our listeners a little bit about what the ladies' club is. The ladies' club, well, first of all, I'd like to thank you very much for inviting me on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity. And... um, the explanation for the ladies club is it's a it's a group that i i just kind of thought this up because i have so much fun going to the quadrilles that we that we put on for the challenge of the americas and the quadrille practices are intense fun but it's it's really working the horses and doing things well and i thought gosh i wish i could bring this into kind of everyday life then I started thinking about it and went back and thought about my days of training at Herbert Raybines and remembered there was anywhere between six to 12 riders in the ring at a time. And we would all be doing different things and you'd get the visual of other riders. You'd see great riders there and great horses. And we're all working on the same thing. We're all working on the basics, the simple half halt, the halts transitions back and forth in between gates, getting the horses supple, and you'd see different people's positions. And it wasn't just a lone person with one instructor and your horse and the total focus on you. It was spread out through the energy of the entire ring. And my mind started working and thinking, what if I could create something that brought together that rather intense training, like with Herbert Rabine, um, where we would do, you know, the true hardcore dressage work, yet bring in the quality of the fun and the camaraderie that we'd have during the quadrille. And um, so I came up with the ladies' club, and I thought, well, it should be something. It should be called something that sounds inviting and fun and entertaining. So I've called it the Ladies Club or TLC, and um, 
what we want to do is have it on Thursday evenings. We've had a little bit of a challenge scheduling thus far because of the shows and so on, but it will be on Thursday afternoons from 3 to 4.15, and it's four to six riders, and we'll create that same that same environment where it's really good, strong dressage work yet in a fun, friendly environment. So um, that's that's my plan. So are you are you inviting people to come and audit? You know, how does it work? Well, we're, right now what we're doing is, because some of the people are a little bit shy about doing it, and it's open to amateur riders. And what I, another, another um, idea with this is, is that it's, um, it would be quality training at a lesser price. So, so the individual who maybe doesn't have a trainer or who can't afford to go to a lot of lessons would have the opportunity to come and work and be part of it um, at, le- at a lesser cost. Oh, I think it's genius, and it sounds sounds like fun. Are there any other things that you're planning to have with the riding, or at this point is it just sort of a, it, it, it's a time to come and ride with your peers? Well, it, for right now, we're going to do it just with the riding, and then I'll see what the interest is and see if the momentum sort of sort of moves on from that, and then I would add into that then training, then bring in my my Equilates training and do things like that. So I think, you know, once it really it really gets going, then I'll kind of see the, the people that we have involved in it and see where their interests are and where they would like to go. But um, for me, the, the, the Equilates and the, the working out and sort of going to the mind-body-spirit of training is um, that's always been first and foremost for me. Now, Betsy, and maybe also, you, could, you could tell us about Equilates because this is the first I'm hearing of that as well, and that sounds that sounds interesting. Well, Equilates is it's a combination of it's based in Pilates exercises and it's sport specific for the equestrian. So I've taken parts of of. Like I said, the basis um, is Pilates, but it also takes the um, different things from yoga, from Tai Chi, from different things, um, different cross-training modes, so to speak, and brings it into specific rider um, exercises that we do unmounted. And, for example, we have um, ball workouts, workouts on the big Swiss balls, that uh, are for walk, trot, and canter. We do them to music. Right now we're working with some of London's kids and doing Equilates classes and having them do experience different things where you bring in exercises from other, um, you know, other cross-training modes and you put that into, into how that really works together for the horses. So it's a little different than just going say to the gym uh, because the whole time we say during an exercise, now this will work for your horse because, and you want to think about the the balance in your body because it will bring the horse's body into balance. So when they're say bouncing on the balls and their hip goes out to the side, you can, you can identify with them and say, all right, when your hip moved out to the side there, do you realize how your horse's hind leg would step out? 
And it's very, very much body awareness. We've also added to um, to the to our what we do normally. We've expanded into using biochords, which are really it's really really interesting. It's like working with bungee cords and uh, working on the neuromuscular system. So it's it's getting really exciting. It's it's really fun. And I'm thinking too, like with the ladies club, you know, we'll see. I want to start with the riding part first. And then maybe break off into groups of um, working with the Equilates as well. Wow, that's amazing, Betsy. I, well, that I, sounds just, busy, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that's amazing. So if we wanted to find out more information about the Equilates, how would we do that? Um, you can check Equilates.com. And, um, and what, what we're planning to do this summer is have some workshops, some Equilates workshops. And they'll probably be in Atlanta, I think. Um, we're not sure yet of the location for that, either in New Jersey or in Atlanta. But we'll do some different workshops with it and just kind of show the exercises and explain the exercises and, you know, have people really experience it. And it is, it, they are exercises that are unmounted, but then we've also, we've also taken that, or I've done clinics where, We'll do unmounted exercises first and then then go right to the riding. And then you relate those. You take the exercises that you've done and relate it directly to the riding that you're doing. And then maybe even after riding, come back again and do the exercises. We did that this summer with the biochords. We had first the neuromuscular warm-up, which is about 20 minutes. And we'd have, you can take a group of, two to four, and those riders would do the neuromuscular warm-up, and then uh, then they would do their riding lesson. And Cindy Bickman, a really good friend of mine and who's, who's really good with the biochords, is there and does that work. She comes in then and watches the riding lesson, and she and I talk about the rider, and I say, okay, this is what, what I'm seeing, and this is what I'd like to correct or strengthen. And then she takes them for individual lessons, um, and or it could be a group, um, if there's similar problems or, or challenges. And then she'll take them in a group and then do a private session, or private or group session, um, for an hour and work on those specific things. And it's amazing, like, after, well, we did it for probably two to three day sessions, and the riders came back with amazing results. It's also wonderful for any kind of pain management for riders who have back pain or neck pain or anything like that. It's it's an amazing kind of a workout to really help with that. So it's also prevention from injury. That sounds all really cool. Now back to the back to the TLC thing. I mean, as I understand it, it's kind of like a larger group lesson how many riders are you are you expecting and 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 when are you going to expand this uh, you know well uh, we i want to have four to six riders in a group and then then when we have more than four to six then we'll have a second group so so we can do we can do a couple during the week um the challenge really has been here during season it's been very difficult to get everybody on the same page. 
Yeah, that so can be tough. Yeah, all, all together. Yeah. yeah. Now, and now, is it ladies only? Now, this is kind of feeling a little, <laughs> a little what, exclusionary. I want to, I want to <laughs> sign know. them up. <laughs> you know, Come on, I there are a few guys around, right? <laughs> yes, there are guys around, and and it was really cute because um, a lady asked the same question. She said, "Is this just for the ladies?" And I said, "If we could get some men to come, I would be on board with that." <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Well, we'll advertise so, it to the guys too, no matter what the name of it maybe is, we right? We have an exclusive men's club then too. <laughs> I think that sounds fabulous. <laughs> and then they could compete. There you go, men versus swimming. Now I, then now I like oh. this competition aspect. No, this is, this is. Now we've got it going because then, then my thought was what we can do is have the ladies club. And I thought, okay, then, you know, we'll kind of work it. And because it's six, then maybe we could get a quadrille going and we could practice well, there's that. There's so many fun things you could do. Yeah. Oh. So many. Yeah. So then if we got a men's team together, it could be the challenge. We could have like the oh. jumper challenge for the <laughs> Oh, I love it. Another idea. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Betsy, you are yeah. such an innovator for the sport. Thank you so much for coming on the show this evening. How could we find out more information about the Ladies Club? The Ladies Club, um, I think it is on SteinerDressage.com, BetsySteinerDressage.com. Um, I'm pretty sure we've got it up there. And I'm also going to have um, different flyers out at the horse shows. Uh, so, and at the tax shop, so people can, can look there. Um, the best way if people have any inquiries to it, if they just write to, um, to steinerdressage.com. Super. Well, thanks so much, Betsy. Have a great evening. Thank you very much. Well, guys, uh, we, uh, we have a little bit of an excerpt from our Horses in the Morning show that we did on Wednesday, only two days ago. That is about the EHB1 situation here in Florida. And I took cut out uh, the piece where Dr. Jones of Florida Equine, who's excellent at explaining things, a uh, veterinarian that we have on the show a lot, and Michelle from thehorse.com, digitalletterthehorse.com, came on. And they talked about uh, what is EHV1, you know, how do you, how do you get it, how does your horse get it, how is it transmitted, how can you prevent from getting it, and what do you do after the horse gets it. Uh, so let's, uh, we thought it was important to remind everybody about this, and uh, because it is on everybody's mind that we lost a couple horses in Utah. Uh, on uh, from EHV1 on Wednesday. So it's not just limited to Florida. It's happening in other parts of the country, too, and it usually does this time of year. So let's take a listen. This is from Horses in the Morning. It's time for the weekly health report from Horse.com. Fantastic information and their attempt to ruin Glenn's lunch every week. <laughs> Time for the Horse.com Weekly Horse Health Report. We're going to get a little bit serious here because everybody's yeah. been seeing the articles and, and what's going on here in Florida and now for other parts of the country. We're going to talk mm -hmm. about EHV. So take it away, Michelle. Scary thing for us. Um, so we have Dr. Jones here to tell us a little bit about this disease, a refresher. I think it's good to remember what it is and then also how to protect our horses. So good morning, Dr. Jones. Good morning. I'm so sorry to have to have this discussion, but as we move horses around more readily with trailers and airplanes and such, this becomes a bit more of a disease we need to be cognizant of because uh, the horse-to-horse -horse 
miscommunication, the contamination of going nose to nose in trailers and, you know, airplanes even, stuff like that. So we're going to encounter this more than we have in the past because horses are moving around a bit more. It's easier to move them. Yeah. So let's start out. Can you explain to us a little bit about what equine herpes virus is? Um, let me just try to make it as simple as possible. Herpes virus is also called the the rhino um, vi- virus that people are uh, vaccinating for, so you don't think it's a completely different uh, bug than what we actually help your horses with with vaccines. And that herpes can come in three forms, an aborted form, which is why we do the shots when a mare is pregnant, the respiratory form, which is the one we give your horse to keep them from getting snotty noses at the shows, and then the neurologic form, which we have no vaccine for. And so, you know, we've always vaccinated our, especially our young horses for a rhino to protect them um, from the snotty nose. And that, for me, I was always like, oh, yeah, okay, my horse has a rhino vaccine, but what about this neurologic strain? How do we protect our horses from from that? Well, that's the difficulty is there's actually um, two strains within that. There's a wild strain and a mutant strain. So if you can think about all the... The, if anybody's familiar with making vaccines, it's very hard to to track a DNA virus and to create a vaccine that's going to take care of both of those strains. So once you make a vaccine for one, the other one might become more you know, rampant and vice versa. So they're 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 doing their best they can and trying to um, isolate how to best protect for this this uh, virus. But in the meantime. It's really just uh, doing good biosecurity of your own, meaning, meaning don't share water troughs, don't go nose-to-nose with strange horses you don't know. Um, if you're stalled and you're at a show and you don't have a, you know, a preference of who's going to be stalled next to you, maybe put your tech trunk next or your tech room, feed room next to the next population of horses next to you, and then that way you're at least one stall away from them. Um, there's just different things you can do, and especially when you're waiting outside the arena for your jump class or whatever class it is, Western riding class, don't stand there with other horses in your class that you don't know what their vaccine history is and let your horses touch noses. The other thing, too, is people can transfer it back and forth. They can get the nasal discharge on their hands. They can get it on another bucket and then place a bucket in your stall that was in another horse's stall. So uh, those kind of things are, are important, simple, very simple thing. We all are guilty of it. Dipping your hose all the way down into the bucket, filling the bucket up, pulling it out on a used bucket, putting it in the next bucket is a great way to transfer nasal discharge bugs from one bucket to the next. Yeah, and Um, how many shows have you been at where you have one hose that is feeding, you know, two tenths of horses and everyone's stretching Mm -hmm. it down the aisle way? So, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there's just so many different ways to do it besides just a horse coughing or sneezing, and again, we've had this discussion, their, their nasal passage snot can travel, and cough can travel up to 35 feet. So, you know, you've got them going right across the aisleway in a center stall barn or next door to your stall, you know, you're getting a 12 by 12 stall, you're, you're coughing or snorting right to the horse next to you, even if you've got a little bit of shavings up the horse's nose and they just go to blow it out, they could send out that virus even though they're not showing clinical signs yet. So with those clinical signs, in the neurologic form, what are we seeing? What does that mean when we say neurologic form? Well, usually they all come with a fever, so it's kind of the easiest thing to pick up on is a horse won't eat, they're lethargic, that kind of thing, check the temp. And I tell my clients time and time again, your best protection in your first aid kit is a thermometer. Always, always, always carry a thermometer. First time your horse doesn't eat, 
You might think it's colic, but if you take their temperature at the same time, which doesn't take very long to check, you might catch a fever, and that's just as important as a colic situation. So taking temps, which is what they're requiring now in the quarantine barns, and any of the horses that were familiar with this horse, they're all doing the temp taking now. So Now, I have a question on that, Dr. Jones. Yeah. Is, it, is it a high fever? Is it a low-grade fever? What are you looking for? It can start as low as 101.5 on a cold night, you know, or a cold morning. So it doesn't have to be 104, 105. So if you've got 102 temp on a horse, I call that a fever, and let's let's start looking into it. Okay. Um, so once the horses have the neurologic form, what's the likelihood that they're going to need to be euthanized? Can they survive this? They can survive it. Like the one in Florida here is recovering very well. They feel that this one is the mutant strain, not the wild strain. The wild strain seems to cause more of the deaths um, in the horses because it seems to be a bit more uh, stronger and more rampant in the, in the um, spinal uh, area where they're causing um, brain damage and spinal damage to the horse's uh, neurologic system. But uh, you really have to just focus on anything neurologic is decreasing pressure in the spinal cord in the brain and any inflammatories that cross into the blood-brain barrier, which is steroid, dexamethasone, um, any kind of uh, a diuretic to pull the fluid out of that area to kind of take the pressure off because it increases fluid and causes pressure on that area. Um, increasing blood flow so they may go in fluids because they're starting to get dehydrated because they're not drinking, they're febrile, and you want to make sure that things are circulating well to remove the virus. Uh, so it's basically just doing your stabilization of the animal, um, making sure that all their vitals are working just well. Okay. Um, and so for everyone listening who may be in these areas where we've seen some neurologic EHV1, what would be your top recommendations to them? Do they need to stay home and, and hole up, or can they safely travel with their horses? Well, you know, just know who you're traveling with. So if you're going on a commercial hauler, you take a higher risk. Um, and if you're going by yourselves with your with your farm, just stay with your farm. You know, you can tie to the side of your trailer. You can get a, a, a barn that's solely for your farm. And it's, of course, these places that have these horses have quarantine requirements. And within those quarantined areas, only certain people are allowed in there. And those people stay in there. And as they leave, they have to go through dip buckets change of clothes so that they aren't transferring what's in that quarantine area outside. And that's very well uh, taken care of by each state health department. And uh, they, they control that very, very well. Here in Florida, they have tracked down how many horses came in communication with this first horse. They're following those. We have up to nine farms that are quarantined right now um, in the state of Florida. A lot of them surrounding hits the showgrounds, but some are as far away as there's one here in Orlando, uh, one in Tampa area. Uh, one down in Wellington. So they are tracking these these animals, and then they're going to quarantine a 30-foot, you know, basically radius around those animals and uh, test them for fever every day and follow them along and make sure that this does not become as um, widespread as it can be. How long will they test them for? Is the incubation period, uh, it can be up to like a week, right? Yeah, it can be as short as a week, but usually it's a 21-day, and that's what quarantine oh, really? is, is 21 days. You can even see them four to five weeks out uh, come up with the disease and, and incubate oh, wow. it up to four to five weeks out. But 21 days is your usual standard. Each state's different. Here in Florida, it's 21 days. Uh, at the end of 21 days, they have to test them with a nasal swab and blood um, blood draw. Now, think about it. Okay, 21 days, they're not free to go yet. They have to make sure that those test results come back. 
So really, those test results take about 48 hours to run at state accredited labs. And so you're really in jail, per se, for 23 days. You're quarantined for about 23 days until you get the release of the okay to go. I have to say there's the one thing, because I've been with the horse for just more than a year now, and the one thing after I took this job that I changed in my own horse management is that not letting my horse go nose-to-nose with other horses when I'm out in public, because it's so easy. You go to the lesson barn, you're chatting with your friends, the horses start rubbing noses and squealing, and everyone thinks it's you know kind of funny and cute, um, and I no longer do that. I have one of my horses is especially a social butterfly. He's very sad because he doesn't get to meet everyone nose-to-nose, but I'm just not willing to take the risk. Yeah, After hearing about all this scary them, stuff. <laughs> yeah, you're taking them to an environment that's stressful, uh, believe it or not. It's off their farm. It's in a trailer ride, start, stop. All that stuff stresses that horse. Even though he's a very sociable horse, he could be harboring that disease, or he could come against a horse who also hauled in, who doesn't handle hauling very well, start to stress. This is going to bring these viruses out a little bit more prevalent is when you stress the animals. So they can have them and then bring them out uh, in a stressful situation, which is why we always see them at the showgrounds or at these events, because horses are under stress. You hardly ever hear about a herpes outbreak in a day-to-day farm that nobody ever leaves the farm. Yeah, or even, at, or even at trail rides. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you have to think about the stressful situation of what your horse is going, even though you say yours is a social butterfly, they are still stressed in a, in a low-level way. Um, there is another uh, febrile case here in Florida um, that you'll probably hear about, and uh, that one did test positive but only has a fever and is not showing neurologic signs. Uh, but, of course, it's part of the quarantine area, and they're just keeping track of the animals. Mm-hmm. So we on thehorse.com are you know, track things that are going on nationwide. So if people are looking for really solid information, look for it there. Um, we we are very, very careful about checking in with the state vets, getting accurate information. There were some questionable numbers on the Utah cases this morning. Um, we went in, we verified it. It's all all good information. So check thehorse.com. We'll have that information on there. Uh, we're always looking and talking to people to make sure that we have information out to the horse owners. And I have- yeah, the University of Florida and the state, uh, the state vets last night had a discussion with the uh, Area horse owners in Marion County, there was a nice meeting they had last night at the uh, extension office, and it was very helpful for those understanding, you know, why there's this quarantine and why they're tracking the other horses and why they're quarantining the other farms. So mm-hmm. uh, your yeah, local no. people will probably have those. Yeah, and the the officials do a great job of, of managing this stuff. It's a hard job. <laughs> you guys have a yeah. hard job. Uh, so we have some articles on thehorse.com. Uh, there's one. It's five things you need to know about EHV1. It's by our news editor, Erica Larson. Uh, look for that. Um, if you get on and just search five things EHV1 in our top search bar. We also have a fact sheet if you want to print it out. Uh, keep it in your barn. Um, do that. You go to free reports, and you can just search for EHV1 there, equine herpes virus. Um and then keep checking back for news, our Facebook page. Uh, we're going to keep keep everyone up to date on all of this. So thank you, Dr. Jones, for coming and talking about it. Thanks for helping me out on Friday when I was looking for information. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. I want to clarify something that we talked about on Monday is that the state of Florida has at this point, according to an article I read this morning, no restrictions on the travel of horses in or out of the state. I know that was a rumor that was going around over the weekend. And, um, oh, yeah. So there are, I got numerous there, calls on that one. 
Yeah, so there are, at this point, as you understand it, either there are no restrictions. You still have to have your Coggins, and you have to have your health certificate. You have to have all the things you would normally have for Florida, right? Yes, yes. And then Wellington is requiring a more up-to-date 48-hour health certificate to come on property to show down there, as well as a vaccine history. Yeah, they're being real serious, and thank goodness for that, because they're being real serious about it. They're restricting where the horses can enter their showgrounds, and they don't want to come in at night. They really are controlling the the situation down there, and i got to give them credit for that. Yeah, yeah and the rumors on this... Go ahead. I'm sorry. The, the rumors on this stuff do start going really fast, so just... You check with your your own vet. They should have up to date information. Your state vet office, and then also you know on the horse dot com. We really do keep that information as accurate as possible. And, and my last thing is, please, these horse show um, managers. They're they need to make money to keep these shows going. So they do want you to come to the shows, but with them taking these extra precautions, please don't be ugly with them about that. They're just trying to protect your horse as well as the others that are there. They are getting decreased people coming to the shows because of this herpes case. And I can understand and appreciate that, but they are trying to do a very good job of running a, a good show without having other contamination going on. Very good. Well, thank you both. Dr. Jones, where can we find more information about you, or where can people get a hold of you? Well, my Facebook page has been the most recent in updating on this EHV1 information. It's easier to update that and get it out. So the Facebook page is Florida Equine Veterinary Service, and they can also check the website at Florida, spelled out, equine.com. Very good. Thank you both. And, of course, it's thehorse.com with Michelle every Wednesday here at 10 a.m. Eastern. We'll look forward to talking to you again next week, Michelle. Thanks. Well, there you go, guys. There's your your little education on, on EHV1. Super. I think it's just something we all need to learn about and continue to to. Yeah, be, become better horsemen. You know, I well, gotta tell I think you, it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Every every Wednesday morning, we do the segment with thehorse.com on horse health, and every week, uh, my co-host Jamie says, "Geez, that's just another something I have to worry about." For right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's so much. Seems like they're so fragile. <laughs> yes, huh? it's there's like they get a thousand different diseases, and every yeah. time you turn around, there's something else disastrous that could happen. <laughs> yeah, we just want to wrap them up and leave them at home, right? Yeah, you know, don't go anywhere. It's almost like the more you know, the more you worry, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah. And, yeah, I think if you're a veterinarian, you're, you're just paranoid, right, all the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised any of them own horses at all because they're always, you know, treating them and, and fixing them in whatever way. And it's tough. Yeah, we've had some bizarre stories in the four years we've been doing these shows from just some bizarre things that have happened to horses over the years. But. Anyway, let's make every let's make everybody aware so that uh, EHV one is not one of them. Exactly. Hey guys, you got a some love too on the Facebook page. If you want to follow us on Facebook, it's Dressage Radio Show. This is from uh, Renan, I think Renan. Uh, Rihanna. 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 I'm sorry yeah. if I butchered your name. Uh, <laughs> so bad. Her, her last name is Dwayne, and this is what she says. Love your radio show has inspired me to compete again, and I did on the weekend and won. Thanks so much uh, all the way from Australia. Fantastic. Well, I, that I gave us goosebumps. That. We love those kind of shout-outs. Congratulations from both of us. That's amazing. Yeah, you now you can just keep at it, right? Again. I'm glad she didn't lose. 
Even if she, even if it's getting there, and sometimes it is just getting to the horse show and and entering and going and and having a good time. So congratulations! Thanks for letting us know. That just made Philip and I and Glenn's day. Um, So we're so proud of you. Congratulations! Keep up the good work and keep the updates coming because that one gave us goosebumps. Well, everybody, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website at dressageradio.com. You can like us on Facebook. Just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me at philipparksequestrian.com, and my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products. And don't forget to check out all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody keep your heels down and your shoulders back and we'll talk to you next week. 